Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, this is a special episode of the Next Level Soul podcast because it is a rebroadcast of when I went on my good friend David Hoffmeister's show to talk about spiritualities and movies and how movies can elevate us spiritually if done right. And we discuss multiple movies, how they do it, and it's so much fun. I had such a great time talking to David that I wanted to bring this episode to my audience. So I hope you guys enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of me talking because he's interviewing me, uh, but we're talking back and forth and I think you'll have a good time. So let's dive in. I'm so grateful to have my friend Alex Ferrari today, who is going to be sharing uh, beautiful insights from a very interesting perspective on spirituality and uh, storytelling and movie making. So, Alex, thank you so much for coming on live today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, my friend. I really appreciate it. When you reached out to me, I'm like, oh, absolutely. I, any chance I get to talk about movies and, my God, spirituality as well at the same time is I'm in heaven. So let's yeah. get let's get into yeah. it. It's just, this is great. It's beautiful because I know I've had such a love for movies all my life, and I'm so grateful and appreciative for all the great movies that have touched my heart. And... I used to, I mean, I would go around the world and out to Hollywood and things different times. And people would all, always say, you know, did you meet any uh, directors, producers, uh, movie stars? Uh, and occasionally I do run into somebody here and there. But, but we have a great chance today because of the angle that you come at. Because you're basically in the business of, of movie making and you do work with writers, directors, producers. You're in the business of filmmaking, and you're also very excited about spirituality. You have such an open mind and an open heart. So mm -hmm. to me, that is absolutely fascinating. I even saw an interview um, with Carrie Ann Moss, uh, you know, years after the making of The Matrix, and she was saying, oh, my God, it changed my life. Uh, she said, I wasn't aware of the depth and the how profound the, the ideas were in the movie until after the movie was made. And then it's now her whole life is 
is gone in a much deeper spiritual direction than, and as well as being a mom and having a family like you have. So she's got a very interesting perspective from inside the business. So tell us a little bit about, about your perspective on, on how you see movies and, and storytelling uh, being used by the, by the spirit. Well, I'll tell you this, that I've been in the business now coming on close to 30 years. Uh, I know that's impossible because I look like I'm 25, but um, but I have been in the business about 30 years and I've done everything in the business that you could possibly do from producing, directing, writing. Uh, I've done feature films, I've done television, done all that kind of stuff. And then about seven and a half years ago, I started a new journey, uh, podcasting, the insanity. I mean, who does that? Um, and I started podcasting in the filmmaking and screenwriting space. So I would start reaching out to filmmakers and producers and screenwriters and actors and start talking to them. And for years I would, was in the kind of like the indie world mostly. And, and I still am for a very much part, but then one day, uh, Oliver Stone showed up and I was able to get Oliver Stone on my show. And that was a very interesting conversation because Oliver Stone is a legendary you know, he's on the, he's up there. He's on top 20, you know, filmmakers of all time. He is one of those amazing um, creatives. And from that moment on, the, uh, the, the door swung open and I started getting these very big time Oscar winners and, and Emmy winners and all these people showing up. And what I found really interesting about it is because I, I would ask them questions that they don't normally wouldn't get asked about spirit. I was asking about spiritual questions before I even knew that I was asking about spiritual mm. questions, which was really interesting to me. If you go back and listen, I was going deeper, much, much deeper than any of the superficial kind of like, you know, ET style questions mm. they would ask. And it's fascinating that my, my, my fascination with their stories is because I was always wondering at that level, what it's like to tell stories, to use stories, to, um, to struggle to get to where you want to be. And it was extremely fascinating. I found out that so many of them uh, were spiritual. Uh, I had, uh, and, and I'm going to drop names throughout this conversation, so please forgive me. Um, but I was talking to Eva Longoria on 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 my Next Level Soul uh, mm -hmm. podcast, and she, I asked her, I was like, "How did you get to like become an actress?" And she's like, "I was called La Feita." Uh, in my family, which is the ugly one. Oh my gosh. She, and she was, and that was the programming in her head. She's like, I'm ugly. What am I going to do? And it was her sisters, her mother, everybody was just like, ah, la feita. And one day she gets into a, a modeling competition because she wanted books for college. So she'd get free books and she won. And then she's like, oh, I want a modeling contest. Her mom's like, okay, that's don't go too far with that. I mean, come on, you are La Feita. <laughs> she's like, yeah, but I got to go now to like Houston because now I'm part of like the Miss Texas competition because I won this local one. So I have to kind of go to that one too. She's like, all right. And she went to that one and won that one. And the trip and the win for the winner of that was a trip to LA. So she went out to LA. When she got there, she was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be an actress. And that was it. She one-way ticket, didn't come back home, and just started her journey. And she was hustling there for a while, and then she got into, um, and then she got Desperate Housewives, which was a funny story how she got that. And then the rest, as they say, is history. But it was just I've just found I always love seeing those stories of how people get to where they are. Yeah. And 
I was talking to uh, Stephen Simon, um, who was the producer of What Dreams May Come. Yes. Which is one of my favorite, favorite spiritual films. And I don't know if you knew this or not, that film took 20 years to make. No, no. He, he had the, the galley of that book in 1980 when he was just finishing up Somewhere in Time with uh, Christopher Reeve. And it took him years, and it was only when Robin Williams agreed to do it that the door swung open and they gave him, I think it was like $90 million, which is an absurd amount for a story yeah. of that size. Uh, and they went off and made that amazing film. And it's one of those films, which takes another, that film takes such a heavier place in my heart because of what happened to Robin afterwards. Yeah. But Stephen is a perfect example of using story to propel spirituality with something like some somewhere in time, um, what dreams may come. And another film he was a very integral part of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, took, he took it completely the spiritual cinema network. Wow. He oh. just did a whole uh, spiritual cinema network just out of that. It's funny. You mentioned what dreams may come. Cause I just did a live today. I very seldom do too. But I mentioned what dreams may come, and I was talking about Robin Williams and Annabelle Scorsese, and oh, and here today. <laughs> and then oh wow, you, where are you? Your example you bring up too. Oh, it's one of my colors, favorites. You know the, the mind oh, and the vastness. It is such a beautiful representation of the journey of the soul, and you know they took some creative license with some parts of it, but the part of his own personal heaven, the colors, yeah. and that. It is. I mean, from interviewing so many near-death experiencers and people who've, you know, experienced that, that's similar yeah. to what they, the, the stories I've heard. So it's really, fa it was a fascinating, a fast, fascinating story. And The Matrix is on my top three yeah. up there with Shawshank Redemption, uh, as um, which are both very spiritual in its, yeah. in its, in their storytelling. I would love to get Frank Darabont who wrote Shawshank on the show one day just to talk to him about it because that movie is so spiritual but yet no one really thinks it is it is a rep in my opinion a representation of the soul's journey we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and because uh, I always I always just kept wondering why does that movie connect Horrible title, horrible title. Not a good pitch. It's a, it's a prison movie. Yeah. You know, it's not a good pitch. It's not something like dinosaurs roaming the earth. That's a good pitch. Yeah. Uh, you know, but this is not a good pitch. And yet it's ranked as one of the top movies of all time, most beloved movies of all time. And I always wondered why. And I've spent hours thinking about that film and understanding how that story was in and I've talked to other filmmakers who knew, who know Frank and who were involved with the, um, the making of that film. And I was like, my feeling is about that story is that it is, a, it is the reason why it connects so much is because he's falsely imprisoned. Many of us think we're falsely imprisoned. We've been wronged in some way in life so that we connect automatically with that. Then the journey of his of his, his journey inside when he walks in, he's one way, fairly arrogant uh, when he comes in, scared, but still a little arrogant, yeah. doesn't think, like Red said, he's like, walked around like there wasn't a care in the world. Yeah. 
a very, um, uh, it was just one of those things. So as he kept going through his experiences, horrible things happened to him, funny things. It's the story of life. So those 25 years or whatever amount of time he was in there, it seemed like a journey of life because there was a lot of ups and downs, left and right, but more downs than ups. But when he discovered, now this is where I go deep. This is my own personal interpretation mm-hmm. of it. When you go, when he discovered that he can break out, by the way, anyone not listening, spoiler <laughs> alert. Spoiler alert here. On Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> it, it's 1994, not my fault if you haven't seen it at this point. <laughs> That's right. Especially if you're watching this and David. I mean, come on. I'm sure David's spoken about this movie. Yes, yes. But when, when he starts to figure out that he can scratch and do the wig, it's such a beautiful representation of awakening the soul to the reality of where we are today. Because it's not easy. It took him how many years? Like 12 years with a little pickaxe? Yeah. Little thing, just going little by little. And that is the develop, that is the process of enlightenment. That is the process of um of awakening to the reality of where we're at, which is not that this is a Maya, this is an illusion, this is the matrix, this is not real. But when he found out that the truth was that awakening and the work that he had to go through because it's not enlightenment is not easy i don't know if i'm sure you, you're aware you know jesus was walking the planet for 30 years or 29 years before he showed up and started preaching so he went through some stuff we yeah. don't know exactly what but he went through some stuff so yeah. it was a journey to get to the place where where we get where, he, where you get to enlightenment and then the representation of him going through breaking through then literally having to crawl through two and a half miles of crap yeah. To then get reborn, and then literally at the end, it's he, he's in heaven. He's literally, yeah. it's isn't that look like heaven? Yeah. So that is the represent. That's how I analyze that film, and I think that's one of the reasons why it connects so deeply with people. What's your opinion on it? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, now that's the second movie I talked about this morning. <laughs> I, <kept laughs> I talked about what truth may come, and then. The first one I was talking about was uh, Shawshank Redemption. And then I was also talking about the movie Hurricane uh, with Denzel Washington, because in both cases, they're accused of something that they didn't do. And then uh, both of them have to spend years and years in prison and then keep the faith of, of their innocence, but also go through a character transformation. I noticed, uh, in Denzel's uh, The Hurricane, I saw a, mo- a, a book of Krishnamurti uh, in there in the cell. So, you know, it's it's showing those so symbolically. And the funny thing was, it was only a couple months ago. I have another friend named Alex who's into the course and, and quantum physics. And he went up to the, to the prison where they shot it. And he did a whole YouTube walking through the prison and and describing all the details of it because he's into a course in miracles quantum physics and spiritual awakening and i think he took a little a relative of his a little girl and they both went through it but i got onto that today because i have a i have a man who's in prison uh and he's in 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 ohio where shawshank redemption was shot and he's been corresponding with me for some years and went in for uh, murder. He murdered a man. And so the flip side of, of I'm innocent and there's something deep about uh, 
going through the darkness and coming into some kind of an escape. And this man, uh, Dale, has been in prison and he's been corresponding with me and corresponding with lots of my friends. I did a, a whole retreat and I mentioned him and, and I went through his letter, which was so beautiful, of applying my teachings in A Course in Miracles in prison for, he's been in there for decades, for murder and having these huge spiritual awakenings. And he typed his letter in red letters. So I was doing a whole retreat on it one time and, and I was crying and everybody was crying. And I said, if you want to write to this guy, please do. People started sending him letters. Uh, he started a prison ministry in the time in the Chillicothe. <laughs> he's in there for many years. And now he's even got, a, he started a movie ministry in a, in a pr forgiveness movie ministry inside the prison. <laughs> That's amazing. Through all of this, just from us following our hearts. So I totally relate to that because I, I'm feeling like we're here to discover our innocence, but we seem to have to uncover a lot of unconscious darkness to do that. And I think filmmaking and storytelling just is a way Jesus spoke in parables. So I think we're kind of cued into that, you know, many centuries later. So there's something in us that's kind of doing it through us without us being consciously aware of uh, what what this uh, presence is. Yeah, and it's it's, it's so interesting because I've had the opportunity to speak to so many of the story gurus of, of Hollywood. I mean, I've spoken to pretty much everyone that's ever written a big book, even small books. I've written hundreds, probably hundreds of these gurus. So I've gotten to talk about story a lot uh, in the intricacies of how it's built the structure, the blueprint of the foundational storytelling and also, you know, mythology and all of that. And it was obviously the great Joseph Campbell who put all these stories together to create or to at least point out to us about the hero's journey. And there's a reason why we're drawn to that story so much. It's not the only story, but it is a majority, at least the popular movies all fall into this kind of hero's journey. Uh, the male hero's journey. There is a uh, there's a female journey, which is different. The virgin's journey, which I just discovered the other day, speaking to a uh, a, uh, a script consultant or script um, author, talking about it, and I was like, oh my god, she's like, it's just completely different because the female hero's journey is very different than the male's hero's journey. One's more about conquering the outside, and the female's is much more conquering the inside, and, and it was very very fascinating. But one of the reasons why we are constantly drawn to those films is because we ourselves go through heroes' journeys every day and throughout our lives. There's ups, there's downs, there's obstacles, there's tricksters. All the all the main people that that Joseph Campbell says we have the mentor, we have the trickster, we we have the villain or the antagonist who stops us. All of these that is part of our journey, and we're here to understand that and to grow from those obstacles because. I think it was, I forgot who said this. I, I heard this in maybe one of my interviews. They said, imagine if you were born uh, in France and you were born to one of the greatest chefs in the world. And he had a restaurant in the middle of the countryside somewhere. And people from around the world would come to taste and eat at that restaurant. For them, it would be the most amazing thing that ever tried. For you, it's dinner because you would have no other reference point. To you would just be, that's all I had. 
So you have to kind of eat McDonald's to understand the taste of that kind of, sorry for all of you that love McDonald's, but you have to eat that kind of food to understand the elegance of the food that she, he was born into. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it's so we have to have the downs in order to appreciate the ups, because if it was just up all the time in this, in a movie sense, if the hero won all the time without any adversity, it's a boring movie. We've seen those movies. The, the best movies are when the villain is so good or the adversity is so good that they have to overcome it. And there's a balance there because if the villain's too strong and there's no chance, then the story sucks. Yeah, but, I'm thinking of Endgame too, though, with the Marvel, where where the villain wins and all the heroes lose, and little boys and girls left crying and and, oh, and yeah. like, oh my god, we got psychiatric problems on our hands. Do you have those, to make the villain win and all the Infinity War? The yeah, the end of Infinity War. Yeah, yeah that's the second one right before the Endgame. Yeah. Right, yeah, because it, it it ended on a down note because yeah. the villain was so powerful that just yeah, couldn't yeah. figure it out. But then that's the beginning. It, those two movies are supposed to be seen kind of together. Uh, that's like the, the middle ground. <laughs> don't uh, stop. Yeah, don't stop, yeah, don't stop after that because you're like, this is a downer. Holy crap. That's the opposite of spoiler alert. We're saying, now go one more step uh, to the to the next movie, please. <laughs> right, exactly. And look, and and at the end of the game, at the end of that movie, spoiler alert on on uh, Avengers Endgame for anyone who hasn't seen it, everybody has to, all the superheroes from multiple dimensions have to come to fight Thanos and his and his powers. Yeah. And at the end, it's literally just one man who makes a sacrifice. That is the thing that stops it all. Yeah. yeah. So again, it was very religious, very Messiah-like. It's also, again, like Neo in The Matrix. It's all, you know, the one, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was, and I won't say who it is, but it was one of the more arrogant people, uh, oh. heroes, uh, and most fun, my yeah. opinion, uh, heroes uh, in the Marvel Universe. But, the, but you, those, what they did in the Marvel Universe specifically, because I always ask about the Marvel Universe um, to to screenwriters and to storytellers uh, at a high level, because I'm like, what are they doing? That's so right. Because love them or hate them, there's a lot of people who watch those movies. Yeah. And it's not just a spectacle. There's something deeper in there. They're attaching to something because it's we've seen spectacle and movies bomb, $200 million movies bomb because it's all spectacle and no story. So they're doing something. And at the end of Endgame, it really was this culmination of 12 years or a decade, I think 10 or 12 years over, I don't know, 10 or 12 movies that got to that point. That kind of storytelling is such a scale that no one's ever done in Hollywood history. Yeah. But people are, we all know what's going to happen. It's like, we know they're going to win at the end. There's no real danger that they're not, except for that one movie um, that left us a little hanging. But we still keep coming back to it because we're going through the, we're feeling the adventure of it. And that's very much like the soul's journey. The soul is coming down here to experience this experience. And we all know how it's going to end. 
soul will die. the soul's everlasting. <laughs> you know, we know soul, the ending. The soul, the soul, the soul is everlasting. Back to God, yeah, everlasting. The soul makes it back to God. We all it's a happy ending, <laughs> but we're going through the adventure and we're going through the ups and the downs and the adversities and the things that happen to us and all the negative and the positives and all of that stuff. But it, so it's it's really interesting if you start analyzing storytelling with the soul's journey. It's very similar. It's that's why plays were so popular. That's why people around the campfire telling stories is so popular. Without story, we have no reference point. Uh, we need story to identify to us to guide us through what we're doing. Because when we first get here, it's pretty. We're pretty lost. It's, yeah. and, and people are still lost. We're still trying to figure this out. This is not, you know, like this is the only way to go. And like, there's just, just a lot of nuance to this. Yeah. This experience. Yeah. That's it. I, I know I've followed these movies like you and, and I'm just so grateful for them. But there was one year, I think it was 2014, when um, a bunch of these movies came out. Like, And I went over to a movie theater with a group of people and I said, well, take your pick. There's like seven of the all-time great spiritual awakening movies that all happened to be out at the same time for the first time in history. And it was like 2014. So I would do a lot of talks and things. One of them was the Lego movie. Did you get a chance to see the of Lego course. movie? Yeah, I saw them. The thing was the superheroes, Batman, Superman, this and that. And then this simple little Lego character, you know, Emmett, you know, who's who in the end has to be used to get them to all collaborate because a lot of our superheroes are very individualistic. And of course, the Marvel movies, you know, started to bring that theme in, obviously, with bringing everybody together. And I think that's just amazing. The thing that's been interesting to me is that, you know, I I work with A Course in Miracles, uh, uh, and I know you're a little bit familiar with that. So mm -hmm. so it's kind of like with, the, with our topic today, uh, what does Jesus Christ have to say and add to that? Well, I read through the course with the 31 chapters, and if you get back... And he gets deeper and deeper as you go through these chapters. He has one section in the course that's called the hero of the dream. And he says the serial adventures of the body is what this whole world is about. He calls them serial adventures. Right. Very interesting of because we know the body seems to go through many adventures over many, many centuries. And if you use reincarnation, <laughs> you can get many experiences of the body. But then he moves on and uses a contrast to that whole hero's journey and the hero of the dream. And he shifts it into the dreamer of the dream, which is more when you listen to the great non-dual teachings and they talk about pure awareness or mm -hmm. uh, watching the dream, observer, the, the witness self, the observer self. You know, we've seen it in a lot of the literature over the centuries. He's saying, he says, you are the dreamer of the world of dreams. No other cause does it have or ever will. And he goes, launches from the hero of the dream to the next level soul <laughs> of dreamer of the dream. So it's kind of interesting because of that perspective, which is really about transcendence. We're not trying to say, oh, it's just a piece of cake. Just uh, twinkle your nose like in Bewitched, or click your heels together like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz and just say three times, there's no place like home, and then you're home. It seems to be through the darkness to the light, but 
But it's great to have that perspective. I love that title of your podcast, Next Level Soul, because that's where you start. You start on the level of the practicalities. You start on the level of what everybody's going through. And then the goal, the inspiration of the podcast, I guess, with all these great actors, actresses, filmmakers, writers, directors, is what did you go through? And it sounds like even with Eva, you were talking earlier, like it's there's kind of a destiny to it. Like, so mm -hmm. you, you're told that when you're growing up and you enter a beauty contest in Texas and then you, and then you go to Hollywood and you just, oh, I'm to be an actress. Uh, you know, right. not even an aspiration, almost like dr it dropped down into her awareness. Yeah, it is. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of talking to so many people about their life's journey. Um, closing in on about a thousand of these episodes at this point. And it is fascinating to see, because that's the thing that keeps me fascinated with a lot of these interviews is because I, every story is different. Every story is different. Everyone's journey is different. Mike, and I always ask, how do you keep going? With the, when the dream is not happening for you, so many of us want to have a dream. And that dream doesn't happen exactly the way we want it to happen. I found in my interviews that it never happens the way you want it to. Hmm. We are not that smart. <laughs> God, the universe, source, whatever you want to call them or her, uh, has a much better plan for us. So I'll, an example of my story, when I was younger, I got on a show called Project Greenlight. I remember that show hmm. from the, the early 2000s, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, they had a show on HBO where filmmakers would compete to, to, to get on the show and make a movie for with them as the producers. Uh, by the way, years later, I interviewed the producer of that show. And first words, I'm like, why didn't I get on the show? Uh, <laughs> very first question. Why didn't I get so, my dream? <laughs> season, season two, man. Why didn't I get in? Um, but I made it all the way to the top 10, I think, or top 15. I didn't make it on the show. I was only on for like five seconds or something like that. But I thought I was devastated at that time. And then... Few, like a year after that came out, I'm like, oh my God, thank God I didn't get on that show because it would have ruined me. Uh, and then a few years later, another show, Steven Spielberg show came up. I made it to the, almost the top 10 of that. Didn't make it. And I said, oh my God, thank God I dodged the bullet. But at the moment, I thought my life was over. I was like, oh my God, this is never going to happen. So I was very angry for a long time uh, following my dream because I was working, by the way. I was a working director, but I wasn't at the level I wanted to because in my mind, success was not what I was doing. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So if you change the definition of success for you, which should be the process of doing the work that you're doing, not the outcome of the work. Van Gogh painted because he loved painting, not because he sold it for $100 million. Yeah. And that switch in mindset completely changed my life. So where I, you know, when I started the podcast that I met you on, I started from nothing, from nowhere. No one knew me from, uh, from Adam in the spiritual space. And I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do three of these a week because I'm crazy. And I'm going to keep pumping them out and I'm just going to keep going. And I love it and see what happens. And I'm at 130, I think now, 140 episodes of that right now. And it's the show has really grown to, it's it's growing so fast. I 
never thought it would grow this fast yeah. uh, and in a very short amount of time. But I didn't have an outcome attached. I didn't say, oh, I need to be this. And and I, I mean, could you imagine like opening up a spiritual podcast and go, I need to be rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine like I need to be the humblest of all humble? Like it's like, <laughs> it yeah. so I didn't have an outcome to it, but it took me years to get to this place to be able to do something like that. You know, five years ago, that Alex would have never been able to even have this conversation with you. Yeah. So that's part of the journey uh, that I've been able to see. But you're right, destiny. When you find what you're supposed to do, the feeling that you have inside is undeniable. And it's not having to do with money. Money is irrelevant to the scenario. It's about how you feel. So when I started to podcast, I started to feel a little differently. But when I really changed is when I started doing my spiritual podcast. I was like, oh, this is why I'm here. Mm. Okay, I need to be doing this. This is this is what I'm here to be doing. Yeah. I'm here to, to, to spread the word. I'm here to spread this message to the masses. This is what I'm supposed to. And, and, and this is my mind. This is what I'm, I'm feeling in my meditations, in my own, my own soul. Not in a grandiose way, but just in a, in a way like this is where, how I can serve. Yeah. And whatever happens, happens. But I'm trying to get it out to the masses. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to elevate the vibration of the entire of, of humanity as we're as we're going through this insane awakening we we're going through right now, David, which is pretty yeah, yeah. intense to say the least. <laughs> pretty intense. I love the symbology of you just pouring your heart out, sharing all these things you've gone to, and and right over your uh, right shoulder is the love sign, and then the gold. Buddha is every, every time you lean one way the, and you're talking, the here comes the gold Buddha coming in because <laughs> it's like, that's like the symbolic of the love and the presence behind everything, behind the dream, behind mm -hmm. all the serial adventures and, and how the spirit seems to be directing it where the humans may think, Oh, I want to be a great director. Or I could get on this show or I could, well, if I win or, or I, I'm in the top, Five, then I'll become a little more known. And then you're being used as in a podcast with Eva Langori, with all these people, Oliver Stone, you know, people that have important things to share, which is what's behind, what was the motive, what was what was going on in their mind, what was going on in their heart when they were making the movie, which is really, I think that that is very uplifting for people because we tend to make icons and idols out of people and think that the icons and idols are living some kind of a high life. And when you interview oh, yeah. them, you see, oh my gosh, everybody's going through the trials and tribulations and we can learn a lot from uh, how they made it through. There's one of my favorite interviews I've done on Next Level Soul, which was uh, with a man, uh, his name I think was David as well. And he... Uh, forgive me if it wasn't David, but if whoever's listening, but he, the story about him is really interesting that he went to India on a filmmaking job. And during there, he was a sound guy doing a documentary or something. And while he was there, he broke up with his girlfriend. His girlfriend broke up with him, left him. And he was so devastated. He didn't know what to do. So his friend's like, oh, the Maharishi is speaking about meditation. And he's like, what's meditation? And this is the this is in the sixties. And he went to go see the Maharishi and he's like, okay, this is, this is my path. I need to learn meditation. I need to heal from this pain. So he went to the, he went to the Maharishi's uh, ashram. He knocked on the door and said, I'm here to learn how to meditate. And they said, 
I'm so sorry, we can't let you in. The Beatles are here. And, and he's like, I'm in pain, I need to help. He's like, look, you can stay in the tent outside. We'll bring you our vegetarian meals. When we have a moment, we'll let you in. If there's even a possibility of that. He's like, okay. So he stayed there eight days outside eating you know, lentils and rice and all that stuff. And then he's like, okay, come in. So he walks in. This is a fast, such an amazing story. He walks in. He's like, let me teach you how to meditate. So they teach him TM, you know, transcendental meditation. And then, you know, five minutes, he's there quickly. And he meditates for a couple hours or something. And then he comes out of the, the meditation. He's all blissed out. And he's just like, you know, and endorphins are running. Everything's so beautiful. And he's walking out into the into the ashram. And off in the distance, he starts walking towards this table, this, call, this picnic table. And he's like, oh, that's the Beatles. All the Beatles are there with their girlfriends or wives. And as he's walking, he's still kind of out of it, but his heart starts beating really fast. Because I think subconsciously, he's like, you're walking towards the Beatles. And for everyone's reference point, the Beatles in 1964 were pretty much the most famous human beings on the planet. Yeah. Am I, is that a fair statement, David? Yeah, that's a fair statement. <laughs> so they're the biggest you know, humans on the planet, essentially. And they're there you know, meditating with the Maharishi. So as he's walking over, he goes, Alex, this is the only, this is only two times this ever happened to me. A voice came into my head because I started to panic a little bit as I got closer to them. And a voice came into my head and is like, they're just like you. They're human beings. They're afraid of the dark and they fart. <laughs> and that's just to bring them back down because you were saying idols. You yeah, know, we yeah. make idols. That we all are afraid of the dark <laughs> and we fart. So it's just such a beautiful, yeah. poetic way to say yeah. we're all the same. Yeah. We all got to do the same things, yeah. you know. So he got there and, and they had a, a funny interaction and John Lennon was like, you know, you know, busting his balls a little bit and and uh, and, he, and he and he busted his balls back and then Paul McCartney's like, oh, calm down, and he stayed there for about eight or ten days and then he took photos. He's not a photographer. He just has like, hey, can I take photos of you guys? And he's taking pictures of them writing Sergeant Pepper's mm -hmm. Sergeant uh, Pepper album. He's right. They're they're writing the songs. They wrote like twenty songs there, yeah. but nobody was allowed in. All the press wasn't allowed in because it's you know the Beatles. And I think one of the Beach Boys was there and like Mia Farrow was there. And it was like, can you imagine just walking in <laughs> to this experience? Yeah. And he became friends with them, you know, for the time they were there. He took all these pictures. And then years later, his daughter goes, hey, dad, didn't you take pictures of the Beatles? He goes, yeah. But he put the role away. He never thought about it. 30 years later. Yeah. And he went hunting for them and found found the found the pictures. The last place he found, he almost gave up. Last place he found, he got the pictures. He took it to Sotheby's, and they said this is these are almost priceless because no one took pictures inside the ashram yeah. at this moment in the history of the Beatles. So it's just a, a, fan, a wonderful story. But I, I I tell that story to to kind of humanize idols, and the Beatles are arguably of the 20th century. Yeah. The biggest, some of the biggest idols ever created by society, by world society. I mean, there was no place you couldn't go and not know the Beatles. To this day, my my daughters know who the Beatles are, and they're, yeah. they're young. So it, it, it's it's and as I've been able to talk to more and more of these, you know, movie stars and big time directors and Oscar winners and things like that, I realize how human they truly are. Like I had, I spoke to Eric Roth, the writer of Forrest Gump, mm -hmm. and Dune, and 
a million, a curious case of Benjamin Button and a million other movies that he's written. And he tells me he still gets nervous. I'm like, you get nervous? He goes, yeah, when I get in front of that, that blank screen, I'm not sure. Hmm. And I always, and I was like, wow, maybe, and I go, but you, but you've won Oscars. You've like, you're a legend. He's like, I'm still, I still have my problems with it. I saw, and I always love asking writers specifically, I go, when you write, where does it come from? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And that was a big question. Do you feel like you're channeling something when you when you're writing? He's like, oh, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, when you write, you're writing, and then you just when you're done writing, you like you read it, you're like, well, that's good. I don't know who wrote that, but that's really good. Yeah. And yeah. and most of them acknowledge a higher power, religious or not religious, on a creative muse standpoint, whatever word they understand that they are funneling through. I got to speak to um. Bruce Dickinson. I don't know if you know who Bruce Dickinson is. He is the lead singer of the world famous band Iron Maiden. If you you know who Iron Maiden yeah, is, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So you know they're a heavy metal band and you know all that kind of stuff. And I had a deep spiritual conversation with him on my show. And I said, Bruce, what is it like singing to a hundred thousand people? Because most of us will never understand being in front of a hundred. Because all that love, all that attention is all on you like how do you handle it and how do you prepare for it and and i go when you're singing at that level is it coming through you he goes oh absolutely i'm just there i just kind of just open my mouth and something comes through and it's not me and i was like wow how that's so amazing that he just like he acknowledges it and the one thing i've noticed the bigger the person the more they understand and acknowledge this, what's happening. Like uh, Spielberg said that too. He's like, when I have an idea, I either have to act on it because I know someone else is going to take it. There's a story of, uh, and I'll keep talking, so please forgive me, but there's a story I heard of Prince. What a wonderful story. He had, he was legendary for writing. I mean, he wrote, I think he has, a, he can release a new album into the year 3000. That's how many, how many songs he left behind when he died. Mm -hmm. And they are releasing a new album every year. And so he was just record at any odd hour, whenever inspiration hit me. And he called up his uh, backup singer at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. Goes, "Hey, uh, Bob, are you ready? Uh, like, Prince, I'm sleeping." He's like, uh, "Come down to the. We, we need to record this." He's like, "Can it wait three hours? Can I get there at six? He goes, "No, we got to record it now because if I don't record it, Michael Jackson's going to get it." The idea. <laughs> Good download. <laughs> it's like if if we don't grab it. It's just going to keep going until it finds a place to get out because that idea needs to get out now. Mm, uh, that that song needs to get out now. That story needs to get out now. Isn't it interesting that how stories come into our zeitgeist at certain periods of time when they're ready to be birthed? And if you don't, that's why you've ever noticed that like there's two or three um, meteors hitting the planet movies that all of a sudden just show up. Yeah, yeah. At the, at the same, on the same year, and like, yeah. and before nobody was talking about that, or yeah. these kind. It's interesting because that idea came and it got grabbed, and it needs to get out into the world for whatever reason. The yeah. Matrix, you know, yeah. the Matrix came at literally the turn of 
the century yeah. and is one of the most prolific, profound stories, um, you know, that cinema's ever put out, in my opinion, on a yeah. spiritual experience. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating that when, as we talk more and you talk about these interviews you had, that it's, it occurs to me that in some way the, the world is backwards and upside down, like Forrest Gump kind of, everybody related to it, and he was so simple. And, and I look at the things that, that people aspire to, like fame and money and possessions, or different types of, of achievements and notoriety and status. Uh, and it can be physical beauty or it can, there's different aspects of the diamond, but, but I think it seems like the, the, the stories about going home or remembering home, E.T. phone home with the finger and, and the Wizard of Oz. And of course, there's so many movies, the Matrix, uh, you are the one, you know, the prophecy from Morpheus that it seems like our reality has just been covered over and hidden by a very complex uh, matrix of images. Uh, and now if we live in a time where Elon Musk and a lot of scientists, I, I read recently that there's about 80% of scientists now believe that, that this world is a simulation. Yes. That's amazing because they don't know where the simulation is coming from. They have their own ideas, like maybe it's a future guy in a future race who's kind of playing with like, uh, like uh, with uh, magnifying glass, uh, burning ants and things. Ants. Yeah, you know, but, but with A Course in Miracles, you know, we get this idea that it's an ego that invented time and space and Maya. And, and we even have great quantum physicists, like one of the first ones was uh, Albert Einstein, who said, you know, you can live life one of two ways that either nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. That's pretty profound coming from a scientist. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that sounds like it could come from the Upanishads or something. And it's coming from Albert Einstein. So he was he was receiving the ideas. And he, oh. you know, when he when they started to find this connectedness, this energy that was that permeated all time and space. You know, that's when he wrote, he called it spooky action at a distance. When you put that spooky word in, it kind of shows that there's a fear of love, a fear of connectedness. Maybe we've put all these other attributes, fame and fortune and achievement and accomplishment as top goals that people pursue in the dream world. But then it seems like there's these moments of simple joy where you're just sitting there with with your child, or or sitting out looking over a canyon with a lemonade in your hand, and suddenly you get overcome with such joy that you can't even speak of it. It's unspeakable. So it's it's. I think that's why what we're doing is talking, conversing, communicating, and sharing. You know what is it that that you've discovered? Because I think we're all going to discover the same soul, that there's one soul. <laughs> and, mm. and the sameness is what's real. And the differences are what seem to be bringing the competition and the the pride and, you know, the pursuits. Uh, it's like being on a treadmill and just running, running to achieve something. And then your, your life's a demonstration of you're having so much fun doing the next level yeah. soul. And it was something that just dropped in. It was not one of your pursuits.
oh my god if you would have told me this years ago um i would have said what podcasting and then what podcasting in the spiritual space like i don't even like i mean i went to catholic school that's all that's all i remember i don't know any of that so just fascinating how the world works and to go, go back to what you said about simulation uh this is called simulation theory um it is an idea that got kind of brought into the zeitgeist by the matrix the matrix yeah. was the first big movie that kind of brought that idea into the world and there's some quantum physicists who did the math and they wrote a paper and they said it is a possibility that we are in a simulation which is what the the hindus and the jains have been saying in the upanishads for years <laughs> this is maya this is an illusion all great you know, all great spiritual leaders are saying, this is not, this is not it. This is not the right thing. You, you have to look beyond this. This is an illusion. And I think that one of the things I hear so much about is the, you know, the law of attraction and, and being able to, you know, control your, your, your world essentially. And if you take the idea, and this is where I've, I've learned from yogic philosophies and, and ideas if you take the idea that this is all an illusion, that we are in a simulation, everything that you do in your life, you kind of have control of based on your own intention, your own mind. And as you get older, you start to realize that and to a certain extent, if not the full extent, that's true. Because you do manifest things into your life that come in, good and bad. And the term good and bad is also relative. There is, I've heard the term positive, negative, better than good and bad because good and bad is a moral stance as opposed to a you know an actual stance and, and anytime anyone asks me well what's the difference between like how can you say good and bad or not this perspective i go let's say you get into a car accident we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and it's a, you know, it's a you know, bumper, uh, you know, just a quick little scratch or something like that, but it's going to take some money to fix. Well, the person who got into the accident is, oh, it's bad. But the person who's going to fix the car is good. So it's all relative to the perspective. The accident is what it is. It has no moral attachment to it. Yeah. And if you can look at a lot of the things that happen to our, in our lives that way, it changes perspective. These are just small adjustments that I've learned along my path to help me cope with this insanity. This is insane. Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, the great, um, the great mystic said such, and it goes right back to what we're talking about movies because he was around at the birth of movies hmm. and he was, he went to the movie theater and he saw these beautiful movies. He's like, this is beautiful. This is what we're right. So all of us are focused on what's on the screen and people die and things happen and there's war and there's love and there's this and that's all on the screen and that's where all of our attention is he goes but what you need to do is turn around and look where the light is coming from yeah. that's where you need to be focusing your energies yeah. and i thought that was so profound yeah yeah that's it right there at the birthplace of of movies and and of course uh, he had his center out there and he was yeah. right there in Hollywood after traveling around. But wow. And it's it's interesting that even from a scientific perspective, I know I talk to scientists and they'll say, well, you know, 
after the Big Bang, basically the cosmos, time-space cosmos, they use the word entropy. And mm -hmm. when I say, well, what is entropy? They say it's, this is a, a cosmos of time-space, it's disorder. So they use the word disorder. And then when you think about what Yogananda is saying, turn around the other, go within, I feel like there's the stillness, there's the tranquility, there's the peace, that the light is within us, like Jesus taught, the kingdom of heaven is within, and we have to we have to turn away from the disorder because if we keep our attention on the disorder, it gets depressing, it's frustrating, it's it's devastating actually to keep your mind riveted on disorder. But if you think, wow, I can just turn my attention inward into the stillness, that's where meditation, the Maharishi was teaching the Beatles and. <laughs> And your friend David, I was thinking the name David Lynch kept coming to mind because I think of yeah. of David uh, Lynch and the, the amazing life he's led with his self discovery and and all the movies he's made and everything, uh, Ali McBeal and all kinds of things he was involved with, you know, uh, that I've laughed with and and cried with uh, and and appreciated. But but underneath it was this wise, opening soul that was uh, was just thirsty for for meaning deep meaning profound meaning yeah with, with without question i think that i mean for me meditation has been such a powerful part of my 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 spiritual practice because it's calms the mind um i mean and i i try to meditate heavily uh, two to four hours a day if i can and the deeper i go the more calm there is in my life and things become clearer. I've gotten answers to questions in my meditations. Um, you start to just feel things differently, look at life differently. Um, you know, it, it's just, there's a reason why all the great masters, spiritual masters all talk about meditation and the power of it in one form or another, whatever yeah. that form might be. It doesn't all have to be lotus position. There's other forms of meditation, but it is a powerful, powerful um, aspect. That's why I remember in the Matrix, I think it was Matrix 2. Um, the Matrix 1 is a masterpiece. Matrix 2 and 3 are fun. Um, and there's some cool parts of it. They're, they're interesting. Yeah. But, the, but I remember that the Neo walked into, I think he was going to go meet, I forgot who, I think he was going to go meet one of the, the, the upper beings and he had to get through this one guy uh, who was the guardian of that being. Uh, I think it was the key master or something like that, the key, the key guy. And he, when he walks in, he's meditating in the space, but the way Neo sees it, Neo sees the matrix. So it wasn't just seeing the, the false Maya of it all, the illusion. So everything was green, but around him, he was yellow. It's a different color. Yeah. And I just remember that it just touched me. It was like a weird thing. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then it's just, if you go deeper and deeper into uh, yogis and what they do and the different chakras and the colors of, you know, there are there's a reason why Jesus, you know, is depicted with a glow yeah. around his head. And most saints are and most yeah. spiritual beings are with a glow around them because they've transcended to another yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. How fascinating, how fascinating. And then before I came on with you, I was talking a little bit about Christopher Nolan and, and, mm. and Soderbergh. You know, the thing I like about storytelling is when you, like with Christopher Nolan, he's done so many movies 
with the theme of time. And yes. we know from quantum physicists, you know, the humans perceive time as, as an absolute, you know, they, they actually believe that one second is one second is one second in any country, in any realm, in any galaxy. And Einstein was the first one, I think, that said, no, it's very relative. This is a very relative construct, time-space. And then you have somebody like Christopher Nolan that, that explores, you know, it's interstellar and, and all of the movies that he's done exploring black holes and gravity and, and different perceptions of time and when we think of time as just a relative perception, then the question comes, what's, what's beyond that? If it's, if it's also relative, if it's not an absolute, then we can't just talk about it constantly like it's an absolute. I love going to movies that tell stories that, that are showing that what we perceive is not accurate. And that's fascinating to me. You know, there's time, time is a complete construct. It does not exist. And if anyone argues that, I go, if you take a spaceship and go out of our, our solar system, there's no time. Time is based around the revolutions of the Earth around the sun. That's, a con that's just such a random thing. Like if you lived on Jupiter, time would be different. If you lived on Venus, time would be different. If we're living on Mars, time would be different. And if you just leave the sun... Yeah. there's no time time doesn't exist at all yeah, so it is a, hole, it's very different there's the no time in a black hole <laughs> so time is such a relative state it's something that we created to mark the passing of quote-unquote time but from my understanding from people who have uh, had near-death experiences and have come back time is there's no time. Something that they feel like took hours was mere seconds on the operating table. So that kind of that you know when you start hearing things like that, you're like, there is no time in the other side on the other side in heaven, uh, or you know whatever you want to call it on the other side when you're in spirit. And I'm like, that makes sense because time is this just this revolutions of the earth around the sun. And Nolan, oh, he is an absolute master i was i had the other day on the show guy pierce who was in memento mm -hmm. uh and i was like how was it like working with a young that was his first big movie really he only done a little independent movie prior to that and when i say big it was like 10 million dollars which is you know big for a first movie back then and and he's like it was fascinating with him he was not only understanding the story on a technical standpoint, like the, the because that's a, I mean, if you remember the memento, yeah, yeah. it's not an easy script, no. not an easy. It's everything's backwards. Everything's like, like it, your head hurts. So to keep that all in place, keep the emotional journey, which is what he told me. He's like, he was able to understand the technical story structure, which was insane. Then understand the emotional journey I was going through and understand all the technical stuff going on on set. He goes, it's, his mind works at a, a level that you can't comprehend. Yeah. And isn't it fascinating that his next movie, for better or worse, is Oppenheimer. Mm. And we are on the brink of an Oppenheimer situation with Russia right now. In the, in the world. Isn't it fascinating the timing of when that movie is going to be released? 
which is going to be released next summer. Uh, you know, I hope it's just a movie and we don't have to think about anything else, but we are closer to a nuclear war than we have been since the eighties. When I was, I remember growing up and I remember that the cold war was a very serious thing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah. And at any moment, you know, this, things can go off. So talking about movies and timing when movies release, I was, I was just, it was so fast. I was in LA uh, a few weeks ago and I'm driving around and there's this big billboard on Sunset with Oppenheimer and a countdown clock, giant countdown clock to the movie's release. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is eerie as all hell, isn't it? <laughs> you see, you just like, it's just a fascinating story. So yeah, Nolan's at a whole, he, you want to talk about someone who's connected to much larger stories. And in my opinion is bringing these stories in at a, at a high level that it's like a Spielberg, like you're like Lucas, like Spielberg, like these are stories are so grandiose and they have the ability to put it into the world's zeitgeist. Unlike many storytellers that don't have that ability and do it with a, I mean, there's probably only on one hand I can count how many filmmakers can do what, um, Christopher, Christopher Nolan can do yeah. at the level that he, I mean, he's getting, I think a $200 million budget for a movie about Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. Not dinosaurs, not transforming robots, not blue people running around uh, and Pandora Oppenheimer. Yeah. Who, who else is getting that? Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> Cause you know, I, I one time asked Jesus, I said, what, what is it with all these movies? And he said, well, I'm orchestrating these movies as teaching devices like a, like the parables I stole, told 2,000 years ago, because I know for many years when I traveled around the country and the world, people would say, hey, listen, I, I mean, I kind of am sentimentally drawn to the Course and, and to Veda Vedanta and to some of these non-dual teachings, but, but on practical terms and daily living, you know, I'm not there. Can you please summarize A Course in Miracles can you please summarize quantum physics for me? Because I'm it just, it's too far above my head. I can't do it. And I said, well, if you're ever on a deserted island and you feel like you're dying and you get one request and you could have one movie, uh, ask for the movie Solaris. And if that's your last movie you see uh, with the, on the earth plane, you can, you can transcend uh, with that one. Just one movie can do it for you. And and I think the thing, the reason was when and George Clooney playing the psychologist and, and getting into the mind and karma and giving and receiving are the same and everything that happens up in Solaris, which is mind-blowing. It just, he, he feels almost when he comes back to Earth, he's just like watching something that he can't relate to anymore after he's been up there in Solaris. But I think, or like Mr. Nobody, uh, you know, when I first saw the movie Mr. Nobody, people said, is that even a movie? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have seem to have a theme or a plot or whatever. And I prayed and, and Jesus said, this is a good way to to go into the next level of, of, of experience because you need commentary to, to 
like give it meaning because because like three scenarios of three loving relationships going on at the same time people are like i can't handle one i mean what the hell is going on with this guy and and mr nobody and i said this is unlocking the secrets of the universe if you can start to see the patterns the thought patterns and the beliefs in the mind that send us on looking for love in too many faces, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in time space, then then you can actually start to feel like you can you can relax into your given function because whatever you're meant to do, it's part of a prearranged plan and all you have to do is is see it and say yes to it and you turn happy. Whatever it is here for you, it's podcasting. If they told you 25 years ago, well, your directoral career will not be what you think it will, you want it to be, but but you will have a wonderful podcast. How disappointing! And you're like, pod what? Pod what? <laughs> pod what? Okay. I'm a director. I'm a director. I, and that that's another thing too. Like I identified myself as a director only. So if when you identify to your 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 occupation, when the occupation doesn't go the way you go, you get depressed. Where now I identify as my soul and who I am. So nothing around me, if it doesn't work out, I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'm good. I'm 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 more I'm more connected. And you said something really interesting there, like when George Clooney came back, he couldn't identify with it. After reading so many different uh, stories of ascended masters and people who are trying to come back and teach others the frustration of, I'd imagine, I would say they're not frustrated because they're ascended masters at this point. They're, they're spiritual masters. But I have to believe it's kind of like us trying to talk to monkeys about something because the, you know the monkeys are like, I don't understand what's going on. I just want a banana. And they're like, no, no, this life is more than the banana. What? It's all about the banana. What are you talking about? And that kind of, it, it, it's that's why all these spiritual masters come at it from so many different ways, from movies and parables and stories. You know, even when Jesus was walking the earth 2000 plus years ago, you know, he was telling stories of that time. He was creating concepts of that time for that evolution of humanity to understand yeah. where today hopefully if jesus would come back to talk he could talk a little bit more advanced because we have a reference point now even this conversation is much more elaborate than anything that was going around 2000 years ago <laughs> maybe around maybe around jesus's campfire might be a little bit but having two people having this conversation was just 40 years ago 50 years ago in the grand scheme of things it would be very difficult to have this conversation in public no less uh with people listening and watching so it's really interesting that a lot of the, the religions and the concepts that were brought up at the time of their creation were built for that time in human history. And they have to evolve a lot of these things. Some of the truths stay the truths. You know, do unto others as you want to do unto you. Perfect. You really can't evolve that anymore. But there might be another angle to it. There might be another parable to it. There might be another story to it to get that message across. Yeah. And that's what I think movies when they're done at the highest level can do, especially when you see movies like Avatar or E.T. or these kind of movies that really hit so big, there's a reason for that. And it's not spectacle. 
You know, E.T. wasn't, it was a little spectacle, but not much. It was 1982. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that, that kind of hit, but something like Avatar is a combination of all of it. Yeah. And his themes of what he's talked about is, oh my God, James Cameron is one of those guys who just, he's, he's up there on the Mount Rushmore for me. Yeah, um, I just watched it because it, it came out in 4K, getting ready for the next release. So I was like, "Come on, let's go see the 4K." <laughs> had all those feelings coming back. Had my 3D glasses. glasses on, and yeah, that just was a few weeks ago. I had that experience, and I thought, "So beautiful!" Wow. wow. It's just in that movie. Like, I'm curious to see. You know, he. I've talked to many people who are working on that movie and who worked with him, mm -hmm. and he said publicly, "Mary Tubby, I'm going to die on Pandora." He goes, because basically he's got four more movies I think he's going to mm -hmm. do, four or five yeah. more he wants to do. Yeah, He's already in his mid-60s, I think. Mm -hmm. So the, he's going to die on Pandora. He's like, this Pandora. is it. This is my swan song. I'm <laughs> I'm going out on Pandora. Uh, That's how strongly he feels about these stories. Because, I mean, yeah. James Cameron could to make movies about anything he wants. But he's like, yeah. no, this is, this is my, this is my story. This is the yeah. one I was put here to put out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's it's just like George Lucas is like well, George Lucas is such a fascinating story. He he kind of fell into Star Wars. He didn't want to keep doing Star Wars. He's just like that was a good story, but he had so many other things he wanted to do. But it just kind of took over. And it's like, and Star Wars is one of those stories that my God, it changed changed humanity yeah. in so many in so many ways. And I would love to talk to him. Oh my God, because yeah. of his deep understanding with mythology and story and you know, working with Joseph Campbell and everything he did in the, in the Star Wars movies. It's, it, oh God, he, he, he'd be, he'd be a dream to talk to one day. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about George Lucas and James Cameron is the technology advances just coming from their inspirations and visions. I mean, the, the whole level of technology with Star Wars and, and the Avatar movies, it just goes light years ahead when they release a movie. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And recently a, a friend of mine, Frances Zhu, she, she edited together a beautiful kind of a montage of George, George Lucas and the people that worked around him about how when they were putting their ideas and making the movies, people were saying, we don't have the technology to do it. And they would just all get in a room and, and just be there together. And then the technology would come. It's nice to think of technology as not as an external thing, but just a reflection of the power of the mind and, and as just something that can serve in the moment instead of something that's this thing that's out there evolving. Because uh, maybe next time when I come on your Next Level Soul, we can... Mm -hmm. We can pick a, a movie or some pick something like Matrix or that oh, yes. we could we could just go through some scenes or some things in the Matrix that were mind blowing to us, you know, that that when we saw it, we were just we were not the same. We were we would did not walk out of that theater the same as we walked in. I remember when I saw it in 99, I saw it in a the theater like four or five times. Mm -hmm. I just kept going back. I didn't understand. I'm like, yeah, it was cool, but it was just something that was said at such a deep level that just, I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't understand what I was feeling. It was touching me at a different level. It's funny that you're saying that technology just showed up. 
you know, it's so fascinating. Do you know that that when Alexander Graham Bell put in his uh, trademark or patent for the telephone, someone else was already there? Did you oh. know that? No, no. Two people, two different parts of the country. Alexander Graham Bell won in court for whatever reason, but there was two people who came up with the phone at the same time. The Wrights, the Wright brothers, were not the first to to fly in. They weren't the first to fly. There were other. There was another group doing the same thing in Europe at the same time. So it's fascinating that when the idea comes, the idea almost it doesn't care who it gets through. It's only about what's going to serve the idea the best. Who is going to serve the idea the best? So if a movie comes to like, all right, let's try Steven first. Let's Steven Spielberg first. Uh, he's not feeling it right now. Let's go over to James Cameron. Not James. Let's go over to Chris Nolan, and, and that's how. Yeah. And that's how these ideas come up. So when technology just shows up, I mean, look at what we've been able to do in the last 120 years. I mean, it's so rapid our technology, even from when I was born to now. It is. I mean, when I was born, there was no. I was the remote control. Yeah. For the television, and there was yeah. three channels, yeah. you know, and and I had the rotary phone, the rotary phone, oh, skip, messed up on the last number, do it again, all that kind of stuff. To where we are now is so astronomical. We're talking about a few decades, and how much we've grown the internet and every. It is fascinating. It is truly, truly fascinating. What so. When the technology shows up, it's because we're ready for the technology. Imagine if someone got the idea for a flying machine, like Da Vinci did. Da Vinci had an idea for a flying machine. Mm -hmm. Wasn't ready. The world yeah. wasn't ready for it, but he was able to pick that idea up. Yeah. But the world was not anywhere evolved enough to be able to bring that idea into existence. Yeah. You know, I mean, when yeah. is it Copernicus? No, Galileo. Excuse me, Galileo said, no, no, the earth revolves around the sun. He had to wait till he died to release the paper because everybody thought he was crazy. <laughs> right. The I mean, it's physicists, the same thing. They were ashamed, ashamed to publish their, their findings. <laughs> right. And quantum physics is, is fascinating because I've had a lot of quantum physicists on the show talking about the reality and, and simulation theory and, and all of that. It, it, I'm assuming you're familiar with the Akashic Records, yes, yes, of, yes. Uh, which I just found out recently was talked about in the Upanishads four or 5,000 years ago, referring to the Akashic Records, which is a record of everything that happens at all times. Yeah. And I found that this analogy was so beautiful that people people say that they can tap into the Akashic Records and, and, you know, and certain people who are have that ability can do that. And they're like, well, that doesn't seem real. They're like, well, right now, as we speak, uh, the internet is around all of us at all times, right? Yeah. The information is bouncing around Bluetooth machines and the satellites and all that, but we can't see it. But if we bring out this yeah. and we plug in, we, we have in. access to every piece of human intelligence and information almost in existence yeah. by using this. So is it because we haven't learned how to tap into that field of intelligence? And is that where all these, this, is that where all of these ideas come from eventually? 
you know, which is of course connected to the universe and God and all the, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's just, it, it hurts the brain. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've, we've come from, uh, when I talk about traveling around and following my inner prompts and guidance, but I said, I, I had to pull over and put some coins in a phone booth and then people look at me like, what's that? <laughs> what's a phone booth? They have no idea what a phone booth is. And I think there's something to this uh, be here now that Ram Das wrote, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What if it's not only a simulation, but what if it's simultaneous? What if there's not oh, yeah. parallel universes, but what if it's all simultaneous? And and no wonder it's it, it hurts to try to make sense of something if it's all happening at the same time. And there's not any segments that we call past, present, and future. What if that whole thing is a construct and that's what the simulation is and that the simultaneity of it, because I seem to be getting more honestly into spontaneity, simultaneity, what's my joy in the moment? What's my, my greatest thought of the moment? Uh, whether it's just having a, a lemonade, a pink lemonade and just being in joy and sometimes just meditating and watching my cat's face, whose name is Unity, she can do the best clueless face, like just nothing's happening. She knows she's got the look in the eyes and the face, like nothing's happening. Looking at me is like saying, will you join me in the cluelessness? You know, that's <laughs> what it's all coming. You've got the Buddha behind you. I've got the little cat face going, let it go. Don't try to figure it out anymore. Just let it go. Isn't it, is, isn't it fascinating that, that I love when you say that, that every, I've heard of that concept of the everything's happening all at once, that we are, we've already, we were born and we died and it's all in the middle and we're just kind of experiencing it. And it, it hurts the head to start thinking about that. And then let's not even get into multi, the multiverse, which is, by the way, all of a sudden, <laughs> am I wrong? All of a sudden, the constant, the concept of the multiverse is in the zeitgeist all of a sudden, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. It's everywhere all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, from Dr. Strange in the multiverse and everything everywhere all at once, another concept of the multiverse and these other, they're all coming out now. Yeah. Now is isn't, the time. Isn't that interesting? Because it, we've heard about the multiverse. It's been in comic books for a long time, but, and in, in books and other things, but I really hadn't seen too much of the multiverse ideas in movies before this period. So yeah, that's a whole other. Then you then your head will really start hurting if you start thinking about the multiverses and every decision you make splits off into another stream, and and now you've got like billions of you running all over the place at the same time. Um, but that's one of the things I always I love asking. You know, whether you believe it or not, and the psychics and and people who can tap into that stuff, I always find it fascinating. And I go, how do you know what's going to happen? And they're like, well. And that's another thing with like from even yogic masters and spiritual masters, they go, this is where certain things are leaning towards. We all have free will and it can change at any moment, but more than likely this is where it's going to go. And there's certain things that are rock solid that's not going to change, like big events, world events that like, nope, this has to happen because it's kind of laid out the way it's going to lay out. But it's just an interesting way of looking at things of like, yeah, we have free will. Like at any moment, you and I could do something crazy right now. You know, you could, you and I can all of a sudden take off our clothes, start running around the house, and we could do that. We have the freedom to do that, right, David? But well, the crazy guys. It sounds like a do. 
Saturday night uh, episode. <laughs> no, it'd be, it's like uh, old school. It's like old school with uh, Will Ferrell. Like we could just start streaking uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Like right now, after the just go on the street and streak. We have the ability to do that if we want to. We have free will. Chances are you and I aren't going to do that right now. <laughs> but is it possible? Sure. Maybe in one of the multiverses where you and I are streaking somewhere right now. Well, you know what? Jesus says in the Course in Miracles, he said, God created you with free will and you have free will in heaven. But yeah. the, the closest approximation that you have, like a reverberation of, of free will, because free will is, he says, perfect happiness. And you, you're you only perfectly happy in the environment you were created, which is light and spirit. But he's saying within the, the illusion, there is no free will, but you do have choice. And then Every second, you're going back and forth at a huge rate of speed between ego and spirit. You know, the, your soul's wanting to align with the spirit. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And knows that that's where it'll be free. Uh, you won't be imprisoned anymore. But when you go back and forth between... It, the ego, which is death or uh, limitation and, and vastness, you, you're just confused about who you are and, and you need to go through a purification process, which all the great masters and mystics and saints have said, yeah, you have to be. Jesus said, blessed are the pure of heart for, for they shall see God. So I feel like if everything is, is simultaneous, then it must be that to be happy uh, must be free from time, uh, free from the construct of time. Because those choices, when we start to put our attention into, do I want this or that? Do I go here or there? Do I be like wild and crazy guys on Saturday Night Live? And uh, what was it, uh, Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd and the way they would wiggle? And I would just burst into laughter like, who comes up with this? These skits, you know, where the Lauren Michaels, my God, where do you get these things? But I, I feel like we're just, it's part of a surrender of, of more into the cluelessness because we can still be joyful and we can still extend the gift of the lightness, the laughter, the joy using all of our technology, even though neither you or I thought we would be doing a video podcast <laughs> in the year 2022. You know, we didn't, we didn't know what that was uh no there's no no technology and you know what and, and and who knows you and i might be doing holographic uh podcasts in the next 10 years you don't know i don't know who knows, can, like, who knows what we're going to be doing yeah. you know yeah yeah maybe fun. we'll be dodging the bullets like neo i mean who knows yeah. what's going to be happening yeah, um, yeah i always loved using this analogy and i think it's perfect for this conversation imagine that you're heath ledger all of a sudden and you come onto the set to play the joker that day, or Joaquin Phoenix, whoever you, you, you the best Joker you'd like. Uh, so you're Joaquin Phoenix and you're coming on the set to play Joker in the movie Joker. And you put on the makeup and you go onto the set and you start playing the scene. And there's a director there and uh, the lights are all on and action. And you are the character, you are playing the Joker. And after 10 hours, you're supposed to get off the set, take the makeup off, and go home. The problem is that most of us don't understand that we're on set as the Joker. 
the insanity that we all have is that we believe that we are the Joker. Yeah. We are the character and we're not the actor playing the character. And in this analogy, the actor is obviously the soul, the spirit, where the character is what we are right now, this illusion, because the Joker is an illusion. It is a character that was created to tell a story, to go through experiences in the movie. And there's a hero's journey of that character throughout the movie. But the insanity is to believe that you are the Joker, that you are the character that you play. And that's what we all go through on a daily basis. That, that, and that's when the, the saints, the, the ascended masters, the prophets, all these people who have been able to transcend finally go, oh, I'm not the Joker. I'm Joaquin Phoenix. I can go home now. Yeah. And that's where we're all that's where we're all at. I yeah. think I think it's just a great analogy for our conversation. Yeah, it is. It finally we drop the role and and feel the essence, feel the essence of the reality. Well, thank you so much. You know, I'm so grateful that people who study a course in miracles and and study this pathway uh, can can appreciate everything you've shared because you've studied many different spiritualities, had many, many, many conversations and bring the gift of that in the moment uh, just to show up and let it come through in your flavor, <laughs> in the flavor of Alex. Yes. So thank you so much. And I really look forward when you have an opening or a slot, maybe uh, toward the end of this week or, or end of this month or next month or something, just let me know. And uh, you come up with some great topics too. It doesn't take much for us to jump in. <laughs> to go off. No, we just go jump in, go off sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation. And hopefully it has helped some people. And and um maybe maybe a couple of people are gonna take off the mask and yeah. go and go and go home. Yeah. And go home. We love it. Thank God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank God you, my God. friend. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that special episode of the Next Level Soul podcast. And I want to thank David so much for having me on his show to talk about movies and spirituality. And if this is a theme that you guys like, please let me know. Drop me a line. Leave a comment because uh, I obviously have been in the film industry for a long time. And I love talking to movies and I love talking spirituality so we can have more conversation like this in the future if you guys would like. And if you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 169. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.